We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney. We're sponsored by NoHalftime.com. It is week four of the NFL season. We've got one game in the books. We've got a slew of injuries, as always, to pick through. It wouldn't be Friday without a bunch of injuries. We've got a couple of big questions looking at Josh Gordon and J.J. Watt and when we might see them next and what the they might be like as players once that finally happens. We'll also talk about uh, some tough sit-start questions. Sit-start, start-sit, either way. I guess it works both ways. And then some players that we like on DraftKings this weekend. Uh, Tim, before we start taking the plunge into yet another riveting Thursday night matchup, how's it going for you on this Friday? Oh, it's it's going all right. You know, um, just another week off the calendar. You know, week four already. It's kind of nice to see how trends are uh, are going in football and we think we know some things but we might be corrected soon so yeah i mean other than that i mean you know football's our life at this point so i guess that's my life right now <laughs> things i thought i knew included the dolphins being at least good enough to cover against the Bengals. i was way <laughs> off that game finished 22 7 last night i did not get to watch the first half but outside of that long td pass to kenny stills it just didn't seem like Miami's offense could really generate anything on the ground or through the air against the Cincinnati defense. 
Yeah, people were saying that you know the, the changeover in defensive coordinator with Cincinnati might open things up for opponents to do stuff against them. But I mean, Miami looked like they were on their heels most of the game. Uh, nothing much to Jarvis Landry. Well, a little bit to Jarvis Landry. Nothing to Devonte Parker. Running game really had little life. They didn't keep Jay Ajayi in there enough for some reason. And I don't know. They they just lost the battles along the the offensive and defensive line all night, Miami. So very surprising, but not really because you know that the Bengals running game once it gets going is pretty good. And obviously AJ Green against any secondary usually a matchup problem and that Dolphins secondary looks like a problem right now I think yeah it really does now AJ Green he was kind of the boring late first round early second round pick maybe depending on the number of teams in your league fell a little bit more than he does in a typical year but based on what he's done now through these first four games the way he's being utilized I feel like if there was ever any doubt you know DeAndre Hopkins versus AJ Green where that might have been all DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson even versus A.J. Green, I think is now an argument. That that gap, whatever gap there was, seems to have closed over the first four games. Oh, no, I, I was one of those guys where I was hoping Green would fall to me over Hopkins, but I don't know, it was funny because ADP was kind of catching up to A.J. Green being a little bit undervalued in a couple leagues I was in. He was going pick six or seven, and I was just missing out on him. But, yeah, absolutely, and obviously Green has the track record. Green has... Um, you know, a little bit, obviously, more stability at quarterback for as much as you want to make fun of Andy Dalton. There's at least a connection that's been existing for a few years there. And, you know, the offense probably had to find its footing a bit uh, with Hugh Jackson leaving. But, you know, Ken Zampezi, not that much different in the passing game, I think. So, you know, Green's just a guy that's going to win, like, as I said before, most matchups. And more jump balls to him is what I was tweeting about last night. Just please, you know, just, just let him win some matchups. And they took some more chances and they paid off really well. Yeah, they they absolutely did. You mentioned the Miami running game. You know, Jai, I think, led the team with six carries. Four different players carried the ball uh, between two and six times. When Arian Foster gets back, whenever that actually is, do you expect him to really consolidate the workload and, and take on 15 carries a game and a handful of catches? I mean, do you see some sort of by-hurt value in a player like Arian Foster right now? I, I think so. Um it's very much good to buy someone coming off an injury like that if it's going to cost you next to nothing. And the, the backfield ahead of him is obviously so open right now. I mean, Kenyon Drake's, you know, has a lot of talent, but he's, you know, still kind of a gimmick player. Uh, you know, Damian Williams was just kind of the, the guy that benefited from Foster's injury. So if Foster comes back, he's kind of just, you know, a change-up style guy. I think Ajayi actually has the best chance to maintain a role with Foster back as the change-up, you know, the, the inside runner type. I mean, not that Foster's bad on the inside, but, you know, is more of the, 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 the brute physical force the, thun- the lightning to thunder thunder to lightning i guess i i always get those two confused because you know those tropes are always fun and yeah i think ajayi is the one that that survives there but foster i could see him being a flex guy most weeks uh because miami needs something going and foster obviously healthy you know you take advantage of him while you can still use him in reality and in fantasy yeah i think that makes a lot of sense is uh the Bengals running game goes the carry split was 21-10 favoring Jeremy Hill so that's about what we've come to expect as far as what uh, Cincinnati typically does on the ground the efficiency varied considerably Bernard had 18 yards in those 10 carries Jeremy Hill picked up 71 including a, a long of 19 that was the longest run of the game for either team where you're also concerned i guess aside from the Cincinnati workload split with Hill and Bernard which is always there Bernard didn't do as much as a pass catcher in this game as I would have expected. I thought he'd be more involved. thought he was a useful PPR option this week. And I just wonder if he's one of those players that, for the better part of his time in the NFL, we've just been overrating him. Like He's, just, he's like a, a rich man's Shane Vereen, more or less. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. I mean... Last year, they, they make things work with the part-time. As I said, the running game was ridiculous last year. Both guys were contributing. But I think Hugh Jackson's departure actually hurts the running backs a bit because I think he worked the, both those guys in really well. I think Jeremy Hill's the one that benefited from the, the more standard you know offense that Zampese's going to run a little bit here. And I think you're right. I mean, Bernard does have to, I think, break off a big run or a big after-the-catch play to really be that guy to, to consistently bank on. But you can't do that with guys like that. So, you know, Bernard's your flex guy if you could decide to plug him in. But... You know, if if you're not in a draft masters league and you own him, it's going to be kind of frustrating to to find one to play him. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I I played Bernard in a league where you can have two flexes, and I, I re- probably wish I would have waited for Tyler Lockett this weekend. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, Lockett's been a disappointment so far, but you just you're just waiting for that big play to happen, and we've seen the Jets mm-hmm. leak some big plays to lesser talents than Tyler Lockett. So maybe this finally is the week where that's going to happen. Uh, Let's dive into the injury report. Rob Gronkowski 
at the top of the list for me because I, I think you still have to throw him out there, even after what happened last Thursday, which I know we talked about a week ago. But if Gronk is playing, he played 14 snaps last week. Let's double it. Let's say he plays 28 at the lower end this week, which by all accounts, he will take on a larger workload than before. 28 snaps from Gronk can be just as valuable as 60 from most other tight ends because if those 28 snaps are snaps that occur inside the red zone, I think he will be a frequent target of whichever New England quarterback ends up taking the ball and getting under center on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think that people, you know, do think this game will be close because it's a, you know, divisional battle. The Bills have, have played the Patriots tough a lot of times, but I don't know. The, the offensive injuries for Buffalo makes me think New England's just going to hog the ball this entire game. And I think Gronk's going to have to do a lot of his damage in the first half because, you know, as we saw, if the game gets out of hand in New England's favor, he might not be called upon to do much and just have to, you know, keep him blocking and all that. But, you know, the Bill secondary is so bad that I think he could make do anyway with, with, with at least a, a touchdown in, you know, in this game. I, I would I would throw him out there for sure. I did, the Bills defense, obviously, with with the Ryans is just is just so, so bad. <laughs> I was amazed they came out and, and played well against Arizona. But the ongoing debate about that game is, was that a Buffalo defense stepping up? Or was that a case where maybe Carson Palmer is having some elbow trouble again and he just doesn't quite have that same zip on his throws to the point where that's actually going to be something we look back at maybe four, six weeks from now and say, hey, remember that one game where the Bills defense looked good against Arizona? Well, we found out that Carson Palmer was playing hurt for several weeks. You know, that, I, that to me seems like the most likely explanation. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think Palmer did look a little bit sluggish, and I, I think that they had the Bills beat a lot, and like you said, he just couldn't make some throws, and obviously more of an immobile guy in the pocket. I think the Patriots can do a much better job of kind of working that pocket and allowing Garoppolo or you know uh, Brissett to you know be comfortable in their things. And and if Garoppolo plays with Gronk, I think that's an even better uh, better better mode for for Gronk to really uh, do some damage downfield because I think he'll hit him a little bit more on some vertical threats there. The player who I like the most probably on either side of that New England New, uh, New England Buffalo matchup is the Garrett Blunt. I mean, mm-hmm. he leads the league right now, 295 rushing yards, averaging 25 carries a game, and with one more week before Brady returns, I expect more of the same. It might be 25 carries for 90 yards, but I think there's a good chance he scores again, and, and that volume just looks incredibly safe at a running back position that's been, as always, picked apart by injuries. Yeah, you you think that that's a guessing game with Belichick, obviously, every week. And now there's no one that's really come close to Blunt in terms of reliability. I mean, White's been sprinkled in when, when they've needed those quick change-ups. But, yeah, Blunt's, Blunt's on, a, on a good roll with, with workload right now. And, yeah, I, I think he's obviously a pretty safe high-end number two, if nothing else. Moving on from Gronk, talking about a couple of injured and, and in one case, an ill Falcon. Uh, Devonta Freeman they mispracticed completely on Thursday. It's one of those situations, though, Tim, when you see a player who might be dealing with the flu or something like that, I mean, he fully practiced on Friday, doesn't even have an injury designation. Do you have any reservations about using a player like that a couple days ahead of kickoff? I mean, if we find out a guy's sick on Thursday, but he's fine by Friday, that to me is enough lead time for him to get kind of back to normal, you know, if whatever he had to push fluids or, or eat more for a couple days. Like, I just I have no concerns about Freeman this week. Yeah, I mean, you know, we obviously train our, our, our own analysis of fantasy to say, oh, this guy has the flu, he's going to take him a week. You know, maybe if I had the flu, I think I'd probably just curl up and binge watch some, some, some Breaking Bad or something like that instead of, you know, actually training like an athlete would to kind of, you know, maybe combat a bit of that. They still have to stay a bit active, I think, for most of that. But, yeah, I'm more worried about, the, obviously, the timeshare in, in that backfield more than I am with Freeman having an illness and going and playing sick. So these guys are professionals. They played through little stuff like that, and I, that's not a worry for me at all. I mean, if it happened today, that might be obviously a little bit different. The other injury, of course, Julio Jones, which if you've owned Julio Jones before, you're familiar with the fact that he is often on the injury report, and more often than not, it doesn't mean anything. In this case, I don't think it means anything either because he's not even listed on the injury report this time even though he was slowed by a calf injury, uh, limited practices Wednesday and Thursday. That just seems like status quo for Julio right now. Yeah, I just going to have to get used to that, and you know, we'll let you know if anything changes. Exactly, so just keep throwing <laughs> him out there as you normally would. The Elshon Jeffrey situation, though, is one where I'm a little more hesitant to say, like, hey, everything's fine. He's got a hamstring injury again, uh, in addition to a knee problem that popped up 
earlier in the week. Limited in practice on Friday for the third straight day. Probably enough to where he's going to be out there. The good news is it's an early kickoff, a one Eastern kickoff on Sunday. But if you're in a situation where Jeffrey's one of your three receivers and you know maybe you've got Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb or Jordan Matthews, you know, one of the, an Eagle or Packer on by as your only backup, you just want to make sure you've got something else that you like at the ready in case things don't go as planned pregame for Elshon Jeffrey on Sunday. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, maybe you get desperate and add an Eddie Royal uh, if that's the case. I mean, you know, obviously he does have some familiarity with both these quarterbacks. It's not a huge drop off there in, in terms of emergency plays just to, you know, test that Detroit secondary, which actually isn't a terrible option right now. So yeah, I, I mean, Jeffrey, it, it, it could be one of those things where they say he has a limited workload and you have to kind of judge the co- coach speak on that. Definitely number three wide receiver expectations for me this week in, in probably most formats. And like you said, you got to have someone on the ready. Do you buy into the Zach Miller increased role with Brian Hoyer at quarterback last week and, and the extra targets that we saw uh, go in the direction of Kevin White? Oh, I think so. I I think I believe in Miller a bit more just because, uh, um, you know, he, he was kind of coming off that 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 early uh, injury of his own that was kind of limiting him a little bit um, in, in the preseason. He's kind of just finding his footing now. And obviously the Bears are in comeback mode against Dallas. I, I think that actually there's a really good chance Miller repeats that statistical workload because Detroit's got a one of the worst uh, the worst defenses against tight ends so far I think they've allowed four touchdowns uh to that position already and Miller you know is versatile enough where he can you know make make do some damage in that case so yeah I, I believe in Miller I mean well, I think White's going to be a week by week basis depending on cornerback matchups and I think he'll benefit from Jeffrey a little bit but I think I'd probably expect something around the 10 to 12 points he got uh in week three against Dallas so yeah White don't go too nuts about it I think Miller's the one that's going to benefit the most from all this Marvin Jones dealing with a hamstring injury. He was participating in Friday's practice. However, the amount of work he did is unclear. He was limited Thursday. I think he'll be okay to go on the other side of that Chicago-Detroit matchup. Marvin Jones has looked great these first three games. And, of course, the the peak was last week against the Packers. Six catches, 205 yards, two scores, just eight targets. He had four catches last week of 20 or more yards. He's got nine for the season already out of the 18 balls he's hauled in, which is just a crazy, crazy big play rate. I mean, 408 yards receiving for Marvin Jones, 14.1 yards per target, and this is yet another good setup for him against Chicago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Green Bay, they had to chuck the ball a lot because they were down quick early to your resurgent Packers offense. Um, you know, it was funny because the Bengals never really used Jones as consistently as a downfield threat. Now the Lions, who we all thought were going to kind of have that, you know, really jinky, dig and dunky type to keep Matthew Stafford just kind of spreading the ball around. Now they find this guy who can, you know, who could really go deep most of the time and not like Jones ever had that talent, but he just wasn't used right. So yeah, I, I believe in what I'm seeing from him right now, uh, maybe not to the obvious extent of 205 yards every week, but you know, if this hamstring doesn't bother him that much, I think, you know, he's going to be a top, top 12, maybe what, maybe well top 20, maybe top 12 wide receiver on most weeks. The next player we're going to talk about yeah, the injury seems to be a little bit worse than the team led on earlier in the week. Eric Decker, is dealing with a partially torn rotator cuff. He's now considered week-to-week by Jets head coach Todd Bowles. I just traded Decker yesterday in a league. I flipped him straight up for Devontae Freeman. Went back to the owner today. said, hey, look, I didn't realize he was that hurt. I knew he had a shoulder injury. I didn't think it was a a tear and the kind of thing. I saw one report suggest that his season's in jeopardy. I don't think that's necessarily the case just yet. But it's bad enough, and it's worse than I thought yesterday. I just thought questionable could miss a game, but probably going to be fine after that. I don't feel that way about it now. The trade was accepted last night. It's getting processed today. I'm going to just reverse it or have the commissioner block it entirely. But it just mm. kind of sucks because I needed to get a running back, and I had, I made a trade that I thought was pretty fair, but clearly with more information, well, well I, I ripped the guy off kind of accidentally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on how much the owner knew and how much you knew. I mean... I mean, I, I see. I definitely see where you're coming from with the fact that you do feel guilty about that sort of thing. I, I don't know. I could see some commissioners saying, you know, you guys made the trade. The guy who's taking Decker on maybe could have done due diligence and accepted the deal, knowing the risk. I, I don't know. We're, obviously, you feel a different way about that, but I could definitely see it going commissioner by commissioner. Obviously, we want to play the game fairly, but you know, I, I've had some trades where the guys like, no, I, it's on me. I'll, I, I'll, I, I traded injured guys. They knew that it was coming, and I don't know. It, 
how, how, I mean, would you have a precedent for this in your leagues? Has that ever happened to you? Like no, that? no. But here's the thing: like in this league, it's my home league, so it's a bunch of friends that I grew up with back in Michigan, and. As the guy in the industry, and the only industry person in this league, right? Mm. I- industry person, if you want to even call it that. I-, I feel like I I am more immersed in all of the information than anybody else in the league. And there's some people that read everything that's out there and, and are doing their homework, and that's awesome. That's great. At the same time, I didn't, I didn't like the optics of, of what happened, right? Like, the guy who's supposed to have all the information is out in front of an injury, like to everybody else in the league, right? And clearly, I did not know Eric Decker had a torn rotator cuff before today. The other reason why I think it's important to at least consider, and again, I offered it to him. I said, hey, if you, if you don't want to do the deal based on what we both know now that we didn't know yesterday, I'll, I'll undo it. Like, I, have no, I won't be mad at you or anything like that. We'll, we'll work something else out instead. And he's like, yeah, if you don't mind, you know, I'll, 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 I'd go ahead and I'll, I'd like to do that. It's like, cool, no problem. The reason I did it, also, aside from just wanting to do the right thing, it is actually in your own best interest in a league, especially if there's people you play with regularly anyway, to not burn a bridge in a situation where you can kind of give someone the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, trading's hard enough in fantasy football. Compared to fantasy baseball, I find fantasy football trades really difficult to work out most of the time because you don't really have an excess of depth. I mean, everyone's kind of looking for the same things more often than not. So the number of trade partners that you might have who have a player that you would like at a price you can afford, that may only be one or two teams at any given time in any given season. And to torch somebody in the trade, even though I, it, that's not even what happened here, mm-hmm. it, it would leave a bad taste in the mouth of the other owner. And I'd, I'd rather just make it right and, and have that, that avenue open for future trades. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You, you don't want to cause any bad juju in that sense. And, you know, that I mean, there's some sometimes fantasy karma can can really come back and bite you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Normally, just I could see some hardliners really being like that. I, I would never you know be in that sense of saying, oh, no, you have to do this now because, it, you know, it happened like maybe th- like two or three days later. Maybe because the window was so tight with yours, it definitely makes a bit of a difference, I think. But if it's like a couple, you know, three or four days and it's already been accepted, obviously, you have nothing to do. So, yeah, I think it's the window definitely mattered in this one. And like you said, makes it look like you're, be, you know, one upping people with the information you have inside. So, yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I think you made the right call there. I think the only thing I, I, I had known was that they said he, Decker felt worse after playing Sunday than he did going into last week. That was that was the extent of the info I had, and I think that was on RotoWire. I think anybody could have seen it. It's an ESPN league, so people would have seen that information right there. But anyway, it's it's done. And I, I think the the general stance I would have is, yeah, you're under no obligation to reverse a trade like that. None whatsoever. You're not you're not necessarily doing the wrong thing by not offering that, but I feel like you are doing the right thing if you do offer that, if that's even possible. But Quincy Anunwa probably getting more targets this week. Is he of interest to you? Uh, in season long or in DFS? Yeah, I think so. I think the DFS price, I actually haven't uh, checked. I haven't written that price down for a new one, but it definitely uh, ma- makes a good, interesting, uh, you know, third wide out play there with, with that profit potential. And obviously we've seen Anunwa, you know, kind of step in the first couple of weeks with good matchups as a third wide receiver. I know I said previously that, you know, he might be one of those guys that does benefit from the entirety of the skill players being healthy. So he gets the leftovers and the one-on-one matchups. But I, I think Anunwa's kind of proven to, to at least be going to be a double-digit point per, you know reception league type of guy as long as Decker's out. In the other side of this matchup for Seattle, it sounds like Russell Wilson's going to be fine. Uh, he's got a sprained knee. He's got an ankle problem. Is the offensive line in Seattle more of a concern for you when Wilson's banged up like this when he can't necessarily get away from the pass rush as effectively as he typically could? Well, I think this, that, I think Wilson's scrambling obviously does affect the entire offense. It extends the plays for these guys to get downfield, like a Tyler Lockett, um, and obviously Doug Baldwin's the guy that I don't think's really cares whether Wilson can move or not because I think they're just on the same page regardless uh, at this point. So I mean, maybe maybe it helps a guy like Jimmy Graham who you know can get a little bit more you know catches and targets per game with that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it does lose a little bit of punch if he really can't um, extend the plays as much as he can. Although, you know, he kind of he gutted through a little bit uh, last week with that. And I don't know if he could have the stamina to do that the whole game. It might just be a Christian Michael type of game. So, um, yeah, Wilson's kind of a high end, too, if he does play. Um, I could 
probably find better options uh, just playing the carousel of quarterback matchups. But yeah, I, I think the Seahawks are going to have an interesting uh, interesting time against the Jets because that, that defensive line is going to really give them problems, I think. I feel like I would play a game that's kind of like a pick'em contest with respect to difficult lineup decisions, right? Like Russell Wilson banged up this week against the Jets or Joe Flacco at home against the Raiders. I mean, that's the kind of... Mm-hmm. That's the kind of fallback option you might have either on the waiver wire or if you waited to get a backup because you probably did if you drafted Russell Wilson or you had to draft him. But playing that to me would be really challenging because I think even if you don't have that decision, analyzing those situations and making a call is brutally difficult. I think you do have to kind of wait as long as you can up until game time if we have any reports of Wilson. I mean, they might probably going to keep things close to the vest with this one, but yeah, I, well, you figure Wilson's in the in the gate in the area in, in our rankings that you could probably do uh, boost up guys with strong play matchups ahead of him, uh, and say if he burned on your bench, you know he defied the odds, and you went with the guy with a good matchup that has a good you know passing record a little bit so far this year, and now and, and he's at home, so um, I, I I mean Wilson's a guy that if you're top if you're playing two quarterback leagues, I think you obviously have to start Wilson because you're not looking at replacement value that's anything worth considering. But if I have Flacco and Wilson, I'm probably going Flacco in that case just for the matchup and the way those receivers have been playing this year. Yeah, that's the way I've been looking at it too. I'd rather play Flacco, and it's not usually the case, but Baltimore at home against a a struggling Oakland secondary looks like a pretty nice setup, takes away some of the risk of Wilson banged up on the road against the Jets, who I think can, even though they've been burned at times, they can actually show up and, and play a good game in a spot. Uh, like this one. Uh, Tyler Lockett, by the way, had a knee problem earlier in the week. Doesn't seem to be serious at all. He should be just fine. Limited practice Thursday. We'll see if anything changes between now and kickoff on Sunday. Fortunately, that game being in New York, it is an early kickoff this week uh, with Seattle. Uh, Deshaun Jackson doesn't appear to be on the injury report, even though he was missing some time earlier in the week. Uh, Knee and ankle ailments, but nothing major there as far as Deshaun Jackson goes heading into Washington's matchup with Cleveland, another week and another absence for Sammy Watkins, who you know, the Bills are, are saying it's a pain management sort of thing, but we talked to Jeff Stotts on the SiriusXM show on Friday, and the problem is that we don't know if it's a muscular problem or if it's a structural, like a bone problem with respect to Sammy Watkins. If it's more muscular in nature, it doesn't seem to be as much of a big deal, but if it's more of a structural bone problem, that seems like it would be just kind of a a devastating blow to the value of Watkins, even with some prolonged rest here in the early weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, structural is always, you know, more of an issue when it comes to that sort of thing, as, as, as I've read and as I've learned over the years playing fantasy and getting to know these, you know, good injury experts that actually know what they're talking about. Uh, obviously, any foundational problem with that's going to be an issue. And, you know, there's the same similar injury to what Des Bryant was dealing with most of the time last year. And obviously he had quarterback problems to deal with last year, but, you know, Watkins at this point, it's hard, it's hard to trust him. Um, maybe if you sell him low for something a little stable but boring at this point, maybe you can do that. Um, Robert Woods makes it, is a little more interesting now to me because of, of this, um, you know, ongoing issue. Um, but this week it, it's going to be interesting to see what the Bills do with that passing game. I'm not really a fan of that right now. Yeah, to me it's more of like a marginal increase in value, though, uh, for Robert Woods. Even still, I, I think they're going to spread the ball around quite a bit and really – focus on LaShawn McCoy in the running game, uh, just trying to keep their own defense off the field. Kind of a ball control <laughs> offense for Buffalo seems like a, a viable expectation going forward. Uh, Tavon Austin had a shoulder injury earlier in the week. He was limited Wednesday, uh, more of the same on Thursday. The practice report isn't in as of early Friday afternoon, but I think with Tavon Austin, he's probably going to be okay. We'll see what happens as game time approaches. Three primetime injuries to worry about. Des Bryant, I can't imagine. Are we, we going to see Des Bryant on the field this week, realistically? Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't think so, considering what's all happened with uh, with all with, you know with, with these the fine and everything. Him not showing up to the MRI, and you know they want to save him. They got two tough matchups coming up after this one, so I would imagine they'd want to save him for that. They figure maybe they can get by with without him against San Francisco, which might be a mistake, actually, in my opinion. But uh, you know, I, I think that they'll probably look to, to rest him this time. Uh, you know, as much as they want to have him on the field, they're facing, I believe, the Cardinals, and I believe uh, it's another tough opponent after that. But I think they want to have him rested up for those games as much as possible. Yeah, you go San Francisco, Cincinnati, Green Bay for the next three. Oh, okay. The Week 7 bye is the tricky thing, right? It's just mm-hmm. far enough away where they probably don't want to commit to shutting him down. 
But for fantasy owners, I mean, who's to say that he doesn't get four weeks to rest? He's got a, a fracture. It's a hairline fracture of the tibial plateau in his right knee. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those things. It's only going to heal with some time. It sounds like he could play on it, but if you play on it, you could make it worse. Really tough spot for the Cowboys. I don't expect to see him out there. He doesn't uh, think he's going to play. He said he suggested he's unlikely to play. If the, if the player suggests he's unlikely, probably means he's not going to be out there. Uh, Jamal Charles, he has not been ruled out for this week, but the Chiefs have a week five bye. I don't understand <laughs> why they would bring him back without just giving him one more week after this one before easing him back in in week six. No, it, does, it wouldn't make sense. We discussed this last week. We could, we could just replay the tape of that. Um, Spencer Ware and Sharkhandrick West can do the job on their own. Um, let Charles get the full, steady, you know, diet, you know, diet of not doing anything on Sunday, and and just just let let him get, try to get back to his old self. I mean, I, there's nothing else to talk about that we haven't talked about already. The wild card here, though, is that Sharkhandrick West is out this week. He's got an ankle injury, so the Chiefs may sort of by necessity have to get some kind of limited role from Charles. But even if he's active, I really don't want to play him this week because I don't expect him to get more than like 8 to 10 carries or even 8 to 10 total touches, I think, would be at the higher end of my expectation. If he exceeds that, I'm I'm officially surprised. Well, do you give Nile Davis a shot then, finally? Well, I, 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 that's what, I mean, that's what I would do if I were the Chiefs. I would just go real heavy with Spencer Ware. Davis would be the backup, and I'd give Charles two more weeks to get him to be like a full year removed from the first, or the, not the first, but the, the tear itself. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, that to me would be the ideal scenario given the progression thus far. Uh, Rashad Jennings, dealing with a hamstring injury now too. Is, what, what's the deal with Jennings? <laughs> is he, he's hurt all, he's got a thumb injury. I think he had a hamstring at one point, too. But he's always banged up, constantly. Mm-hmm. 3.3 yards per carry in the two games he's played. Orleans Dark was stock up a bit. Tough matchup. Monday night against the Vikings. I, I just I don't expect Jennings to do much if he is out there because it's probably going to be a timeshare, and there's a good chance he's in an active come Monday night. Yeah, I mean... You know, Rashad Jennings. People were saying a couple years ago, "Oh, he's he he started his career late, so he can go into his 30s and and be a little bit healthier." And no, obviously, we've seen that's not the case right now. Um, yeah, it, it's the Giants' backfield continues to be a mess. We've we mentioned this in the show before. Uh, you know, Orleans Dark was probably the one that's going to be number two for now, taking over. Paul Perkins, I think, is more of a late season guy. That they're saying he's ready to jump in, but I think that Bobby Rainey has enough of a role in the passing game where he could probably keep Perkins out of that for a little bit because Rainey's a bit more experienced as a, as a pass blocker. And Dark was the guy, if you really want to get a flex value out of somebody, I think is the case if Jennings can't go. But if Jennings does go, I don't want to be in that position <laughs> if I'm playing playing Dark and I have no one else because I waited for Jennings to be inactive and he's suddenly active. So, yeah, I, I just don't, really don't want to talk about this backfield and, and talk about playing them in any possibility this week. I really hate it right now, and I'm trying to figure out who I would be cutting in order to stash away Paul Perkins because even though I'm, I'm not convinced he has much of a role in week four he he's, I, I think he's the most talented player they have at their disposal mm-hmm. and not knowing what Ben McAdoo is going to like what to do what to do, do. yeah, yeah <laughs> Ben McAdoo do do indeed I think yeah I just can't, yeah I can't get on board <laughs> with with the Giants backfield as an immediate solution. I picked up Darkwa in the Stopa League, and I'll probably have to play him because it's either Darkwa, Forsett, or Chris Thompson. Those are, those are uninspiring <laughs> options for the RB2 yeah. spot. And I think with Darkwa, I'm just hoping for 14 carries, 60 yards, and a TD. If you can get me four and change per carry, get to the low teens, <sighs> and score, that's a good week. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, I think he's probably the best red zone guy w- without Jennings, I would say. Uh, it, I mean, a four-set PPR against Oakland actually is a little bit intriguing, but you never want to guess that backfield's uh, arrangement either. So uh, Thompson against Cleveland is interesting. I think there might be something there. But, I, yeah, is it PPR in that league? I forget. It's a half-point PPR. It's just right. that stupid Trevor Ray hybrid BS. <laughs> uh, is it a Trevor PPR Ray. league? Is it not a PPR league? Like, Trevor's always like, it's a half-point PPR. It's like, oh, fine, just just – Make it, make it one or the other. Just choose Trevor. <laughs> Just choose. Well, you're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent or Trevor, and you're thinking to yourself, I would love to challenge just one of his players, not his entire team. But your fantasy sports service doesn't allow you to do that. Now you can on the all-new No Halftime app. 
The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit Odell Beckham versus Antonio Brown, Cam versus Phillip Rivers, or even Ezekiel Elliott versus Todd Gurley. Creating a challenge takes seconds, and accepting challenges is even easier. No Halftime challenges can be private or public and created for the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, and other sports. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app for your iPhone or Android device. Use promo code ROTOFF16 and receive a 100% bonus up to $25. Real money and fantasy supremacy awaits you. No Halftime, where the fantasy sports season never takes a break. Join today and get started. A couple players I want to talk about, Tim, who are in this sort of bad place for different reasons as far as what exactly we're going to get from them the next time we see them play. Uh, Josh Gordon has checked himself into a, a rehab facility. He's going to be released by the Browns, we're finding out today. So Cleveland's going to move on. And it's really just a sad story because the talent is off the charts. But this goes back to Gordon's time in college. I mean, he bounced around from uh, Utah to Baylor, I believe. And in the NFL, he just he's, he's flashed top-end potential at the wide receiver position but substance abuse has just been a problem for him off the field for the better part of three years now. Yeah, I mean, you do just want to see him get well after all this. I mean, the guy does seem like he's trying to make an effort to, you know, curb his issues, you know, whatever he has going on in his life. You, you do want to root for him in that case. And I, I think he had quarterback-proof talent, to be honest with you, because he was doing all that stuff with Cleveland with, with a lot of junk at quarterback. And now they got to find that guy to do that. And, you know, maybe maybe they have in Terrell Pryor. Um, you know, he's he's obviously – got the extra added bonus of playing a little quarterback here and there. And obviously Corey Coleman being out whenever he comes back, he can have that Josh Gordon type of role. You know, I was all about the Browns offense this year when Gordon came back as being one of the sleeper teams to really back when it comes to the passing game. And um, obviously Gordon not being there, there was a wrench in that. And, you know, you do want to kind of see where this leads him in 2017. I, I, I don't think he comes back this year. Um, I'd be surprised if he did. Maybe I haven't seen a report that he plans on it, but I think this take a couple months to really just kind of, get yourself right before anything like that but uh, the Browns could survive without him to a certain degree because they have they do have all that talent for when Coleman gets back maybe we're, now we're, instead of waiting for Gordon to get back for them to go full tilt we're waiting for Coleman to get back and even without RG3 you know McCown or Kessler could manage that offense a little bit maybe they get Duke Johnson more involved I think the Browns offense in this case is can survive without him in a sense that you know they're at least playable options around where, where Gordon would have been so yeah I mean it, it's it's a case where I do want to see how this works out until Coleman gets back. And one thing to keep in mind, too, I mean, the substance abuse problems, as far as the NFL disciplining Josh Gordon, go back three years, but I think it goes back to his college days, too. It's part of the uh, mm-hmm. the backstory as far as why he was bouncing around, changing schools, things like that, too. So it, it's been a long time for Josh Gordon. Hopefully he does get healthy, because if he does, we could see him maybe come back in 2017. And we, he flashed it, and in a little bit we get to see him in the preseason – he looked like the same guy on the field. So if he's able to get healthy, this could be a situation where he turns his life around but also ends up saving his career in the long run by taking this step now. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I haven't checked what his contract is. It would be interesting to see. Um, do, you think, do you think Cleveland would take him back if he's still there? I think he would end up probably – I mean, he's going to get outright released, it sounds like. So mm-hmm. they, they seem like they're ready to just move on. It's another coaching gotcha. staff that – has seemingly tired of the substance abuse problems that Josh Gordon is dealing with. And mm. some other team, there's so much talent there where if, there is, if there's any indication that he's gone through the process and he's well, there will be teams lining up to take a chance and to give him that second opportunity in the NFL. I mean, it's fair to say maybe the Browns have given him a few of those chances. Third or fourth chance might be with a new team. But I, I still think there's a chance we're going to see him producing at a high level again hopefully again hopefully he's healthy the other player I want to talk about is J.J. Watt Uh, had a setback with his back injury ended up having back surgery again on Thursday and he will miss the rest of this 2016 season I think the thing that makes J.J. Watt great may have been something that worked against him as he came back from uh, his offseason back surgery and that he, he pushed himself to come back perhaps too quickly yeah, I, I think you know that we all did make kind of the the memes and the jokes that he's a, a warrior and obviously nothing can stop him, all that stuff. And then turns around sometimes you know you, you get your hopes up about a guy you know being healthy and 
just doesn't work out that way. And, uh, you know, another, another case, we just want to see the guy, you know, get healthy and, and get right. And, you know, that, that's a big blow to this Texans uh, defense, obviously. Um, already lost Brian Cushing for, I believe, a few weeks. Uh, that, you know, that, that that front seven looks really vulnerable right now. That pass rush without these guys, not going to be a friendly uh, thing to play those defenses on. And it's actually pretty good defense to match up against now, I think, without those guys. Yeah, I think the question is how much can Jadavian Clowney help to offset that loss because the Texans, it seems like for most of, of Jadavian Clowney's time in the NFL, have been playing with a version of him that's far from 100% healthy. He played 13 games last year, but he wasn't the same force people expect him to be uh, coming out of South Carolina when the Texans drafted him in 2014. This, to me, could still be a good defense, but it's not going to be a great one. It's not necessarily uh, the must-own, hold-em-all-season type defense that they probably were with a healthy J.J. Watt. And even that was kind of in question, too, whether Watt was even close to 100%. When we saw him, I think was always in doubt. Uh, So we'll see what happens in Houston, but it's a defense now that you definitely don't have to fear because they don't have that same depth and that same uh, punch, especially in the pass rush without Watt. A couple of tough sit-start, start-sit type players for this week. One in particular, Tevin Coleman, coming off the three TD game against New Orleans. Much tougher matchup this week going up against Carolina. I'm just curious, do you have Tevin Coleman in any leagues, Tim? I have him in one league where I also have Freeman, a keeper league, which thank goodness I handcuffed those two heading into the year. And then I have one where... I do actually have him penciled in my lineup right now. That's actually the same league I have Lockett in. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. This Carolina matchup is not um, one I'm li- really looking to, to to go up on because you know they've they've been so stout um, against running backs so far. I mean, not as great as they have been, but there's you know they they keep them out of the end zone pretty well so far. And Coleman, obviously, much of his value came from those three touchdowns. Um, I think one of them, only one of them, was outside the the red zone, if I'm not mistaken. But I think that that volume frequency of red zone touches is probably going to go down. I think they'll need more of Freeman and that you know to keep the the offense moving a bit more. Not that Coleman is not a good cat, you know, catching running back, but I think there'll be more formations where Freeman will be in on pass blocking, you know, obvious pass blocking downs. And I think Coleman, yeah, you kind of have to temper your expectations a bit on him. They they could fit them both in the game plan, but I think they're both going to be, you know, low. Number two, number three running backs, maybe Freeman with the uh, the edge for me because they might have to come back on Carolina. Yeah, that's that's the tricky thing. The game flow probably does favor Freeman this week. And, and Coleman, I mean, it's a matter of what your next best option is. I, I wouldn't play him over Jordan Howard. Uh, mm. Dwayne Washington, I, I'd probably sit in, in favor of, of Freeman. I, I agree. Or Coleman, Coleman, I mean. Yeah, I, I would. Freeman too. would play over all those guys, I think, right now. Jordan Howard, putting a price tag on him is actually pretty tricky. I think he could just keep the job. And Jeremy Langford's going to miss enough time where, I mean, Jordan Howard should be a top 15 or top 20 running back in the short term because he was catching some passes on Sunday night. And that was something that, you know, I wasn't sure that was part of his skill set, but he's already hauled in six catches in just two weeks of action, really like a week and change. He didn't play that much against the Eagles in week two, but if the Bears are a bad team that will fall behind often and Howard can stay on the field in third down situations, he's kind of an every down player who's got some size and some speed and is going to get some chances in close. There's actually a fair amount to like, even though the Bears look like one of the worst teams in the league. I'm with you. I think Howard obviously with basically undisputed touches at this point is, is the one to favor over Coleman just because there there is a better opportunity at volume. And yeah, I'm with you. I I, I don't think either of us were big on Howard coming into the year. I think the eye test really helped me to see him in a, in a professional game to to see how does how smooth he does make cuts and you know hits the holes pretty quickly. That that that's definitely a guy I've changed my opinion on and you know as as a stable number two back at least as long as he has a job. And I think Langford, like you said, is gonna be out long enough to give him the opportunity to do that. And Langford obviously hasn't been as um, you know, precise with his runs. So I think Howard does have the edge there. Uh, Jarek McKinnon also kind of in that boat for me as far as talent. I think McKinnon is much better off this week against the Giants than he was last week against Carolina. But that gives you that sort of that 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 performance by McKinnon is part of the reason why I'm not crazy about Tevin Coleman this week coming off a huge game against the Saints. The other player a lot of people have been asking me about this week is Jameis Winston. You know, with the matchup against Denver. Mike Evans should be able to match up with Aqib Tlaib as well as anybody can because Evans is gigantic at wide receiver just as Tlaib is a gigantic corner. But with game flow, you know, is Denver really going to get up enough to where 
Winston's going to get that garbage time production, or is this game going to be kind of a hard-fought, low-scoring sort of affair where the Bucks really will dial back the attempts for Jameis in this particular matchup? I, I mean, obviously, the, the, the Denver driving to Tampa Bay does make this a little bit interesting, too, because, you know, the, the road team for them is – it knocks them down a peg a little bit. Yeah, I've been weighing that, that game flow uh, question with this one, too. D- you know, Doug Martin not being there, I think, maybe limits that running game to, to do what it can do because Charles Sims not a very good inside runner, and Jacquez Rogers, whatever. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of catches for Charles Sims, actually, this week. Uh, again, uh, you know, he, he's there, obviously the best bet for that production. Do they challenge downfield? I, I'm with you. I think Evans can match up with Tlaib. I think Evans gets his share. I don't know how much of Winston's uh, other production is going to be because there's, they don't have that really to have that second uh, guy to step up. Maybe Cameron breaks that guy downfield now because he has that opportunity all to himself. I think I play Evans, but I think I have I might I have Evans Evans and Winston. I have in a couple leagues as a stack. Usually, I think I'm going to de-stack them this week because I don't think Winston otherwise is going to be good. Besides that, so um, yeah, it's tough. I think Winston's maybe a top twenty quarterback this week for the, for me this week because the volume might be there. But I think I'm with you that it might be closer than some people think. Yeah, Jay, uh, Jeff had Jameis at 28th of 32 on his value meter mm. at quarterback. And that, of course, includes a couple backups who probably won't start. So he pretty much right. almost last other than uh, Gabbert and Keenum. Those are the two sure starters that were ranked behind Jameis on the value meter. It gives you an idea of the lack of confidence in Winston. Really, it's more about the, the Denver defense you know, than anything else. It's, it's still a very good defense, as we've seen through the early weeks of this season. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business, and it all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy, and that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. The result is stunning. We're going to talk about some players that we like on DraftKings for this week, and Tim, let's start at the quarterback position. Cam Newton, disappointing in week three. He's still expensive, of course, but I like him in week four, and it looks like you do too. Yeah, um, it's funny because, as usual, you know, I work my picks off the wide receivers, and the wide receiver prices are so funny this week. I think I guess we'll get to that later, but I think I found myself more this week spending up on other positions because I, I think the option's actually there. And Cam, and I'm going to stack him with, obviously, Greg Olson in, in, in this sense because, obviously, that, that's his number one guy to go to. And, uh, yeah, Atlanta's cornerback play, you know, I thought it might be better because of Desmond Trufant, but I think that they're going to really find some some, some difficulties, um, you know, to, to stop uh, Carolina this week. So, yeah, I think Cam is obviously the play where I would go. And I, I, you think you might want to play someone from the running game against Atlanta, but I don't think Carolina has that stability to even choose one of those running backs at a value. I got a few different quarterbacks that are interesting. I think Phillip Rivers on DraftKings at 6,900. A little cheaper than he should be. I mean, Drew Brees is 7600 by comparison. The over-under in that game is 53 and a half, And I would expect Rivers to cost within $100, whatever Brees costs. So you're getting a little discount there. Probably more of a cash play than a GPP play because it's going to be very chalky, as you'd expect. But Kirk Cousins, not a player I like very often. Home against Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, that's, yep. that's a nice setup. 6500 is your price on Cousins. And even Dak Prescott without Des Bryant, potentially. $5,700 is the price for a road start against the San Francisco defense that's been picked apart pretty much every week since the surprising shutout against the Rams on Monday Night Football. And the Rams have been like weirdly better. Like, like last week in particular, they put up a lot of points against Tampa Bay. But Dak at 5700 seems like a viable tournament play for this week. Yeah, um, I, I could see that. I- but then again, I could also see that being a, a big Ezekiel Elliott game, gashing that interior of that Niners defense. I, I, I think I'd actually probably rather have Joe Flacco at fifty nine hundred than I would have Dak at fifty seven. To be honest with you, just because I, you know we talked about before that Raiders secondary is pretty awful. But um, it, it, it really depends on if you want to put two lineups and you have that 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 go for it all lineup. I think with Flacco would probably be the one to really go against the grain on. Yeah, Flacco and like Mike Wallace as a duo mm-hmm. would be so cheap too. So you could have yep. a lot of extra money left over 
uh, for exactly. other top receivers and, and top running backs. If you were to do that, anybody else at the, the quarterback position that stands out to you this week? Well, I do want to see what Wilson's, you know, going to be looking like up, up until kickoff time. And I think he's probably fourth on my list of guys I really like because I think those other three that you, uh, Newton, Flacco, and Cousins I have ranked ahead of Wilson, I think those are pretty, yeah, maybe chalkish type of plays, but still pretty effective for the price that the latter two especially going to be at. So Wilson is kind of the one I'm watching, but I'm not really all that confident I'm playing him unless I'm really doing a go-for-it lineup that no one else is going to pick. Now looking at the running back position, David Johnson, the most expensive option on the board at 7800 Le'Veon Bell in his first game back following suspension, 7500 I mean, last season, we went right back to Le'Veon Bell being the lead back as soon as his suspension ended. Do you expect that to be the case on Sunday night, and do you like paying up for Le'Veon Bell this week? Um, that kind of goes along with what I said before about finding so many bargains elsewhere that I I would take the chance to, to get Bell. I think that you know the relative value that the other guys provide allows you to kind of uh, you know go up in that sense with Bell uh, this week. I, I can see the Chiefs really being weak against that running game, and I think Williams will probably still have D'Angelo Williams will probably still have around ten touches, but I think Bell can do enough on fifteen to twenty that I'd rather take that chance with him. Um, I, I'm more about uh, Melvin Gordon this week though against the Saints at home. Um, that's kind of why I didn't list Rivers in mine because obviously that Saints defense is is, is awful as we've seen. I think I'd rather have Gordon do the damage and ha- have a little bit of money saved there a little bit at 6,300 as whatever, like the 10th or something running back ranked there. Um, I think there's a little bit more to give there and allow me to open up quarterback and wide receiver elsewhere. Yeah. Cheaper exposure to the matchup than what it will take to, to get Phillip rivers and you know, save a few hundred bucks. And I think you do get lower ownership rates on Gordon than you do on rivers. And they're both going to be high, but I think it's, it's a way of getting some separation from the pool this week. Carlos Hyde is really only 4,200 like that. That's insane. Coming (laughs) off a good game against Seattle last week, I think teams can run on Dallas with relative ease and any Mm -hmm. path the Niners have to keeping this game close lines. Only two would for me include Carlos Hyde being very effective as their lead ball carrier. He's got a good hold on the starting job. That's gotta be some of these, the cheapest established volume I've seen on DraftKings all year. I think it it really is. I mean, he's he's cheaper than Matt Jones, Isaiah Crowell, cheaper than Tevin Coleman, uh, cheaper than injured running backs Thomas Rawls, Jonathan Stewart, Jeremy Langford. I <laughs> cheaper than Legarrette Blunt, who I, I like at five thousand. I I just wow. I, I'm 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 surprised to uh, to say the least. I mean, D'Angelo Williams is sixty two hundred this week, which <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Uh, whatsoever. If you want to go away from Melvin Gordon, I don't mind C.J. Anderson this week at 6500 That's a fair price on Anderson, mm-hmm. and what should be a good spot for him to accumulate another 20 or 25 carries against that Bucks defense. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that one. I think that that could be, you know, a, 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 a big garbage time swing for them just to run out the clock. Uh, I do kind of like... Um, Sorry, I, I like uh, Jordan Howard at 3700 as well. That That's the volume that at a cheap price. And even DeMarco Murray at 68 if you really want to spend up. I think that the Titans matchup against that Houston defense we talked about, I think Murray could could have another big game there. But, you know, that's obviously a high price uh, to pay. I think the return on that might be a little bit less for that cost than some others. But, you know, Murray pretty much a set role right now with the passing game and the running game. If you're trying to fill maybe the flex spot and you're looking at, I don't know, let's say Cameron Artist Payne, at 3400 as one option and Jordan Howard at 3700 is it Howard in the landslide if you can afford the extra 300 bucks yeah I would do that for sure yeah Jordan Howard I, ownership will be through the roof I think on DraftKings with that mm-hmm. price tag but it, it's so cheap that I feel like fading him is a bad play outside of perhaps like the Millie maker right where you've got 250,000 <laughs> entries that are out there that might be the spot where you fade him if you're trying to hit the the ultimate first place lineup to uh, to come away a millionaire after week four. Let's move over to the wide receiver position. Antonio Brown still leads the way at 9,700. Julio's at 9,200 against Carolina. DeAndre Hopkins, 8,400. It's a pretty nice price break compared to the other two receivers for a matchup against the Titans. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a nice drop-off there. Um, and good discount, obviously, the Titans' defense. We don't know how their pretenders are, are for real at this point. Um but I, I think the golf, even after Hopkins, after Des Bryant at seventy nine hundred and Cooper, I think there are a lot of good bargain wide receivers this week. As, as I mentioned before, um, you know Evans is sixty five hundred as a contrarian pick against the Akeem Talib hype. Um, I'll go with Emmanuel Sanders again at sixty four hundred. Um, uh, you know, we, we, I went with him the week before he had his two touchdown games, so maybe that feels a bit burned there. 
Terrell Pryor, 4,300, you know, that's when everyone's probably going to pick. But, you know, once again, like Howard, that might, that price might be just too much to pass up. And, and as we said before, I think my guy this week is Wallace at 5,200 with Flacco. Now, we talked about Marvin Jones earlier and all the, the attention he's been getting for what he's accomplished so far. It's been a great start to the season. He's up to 7,300. But meanwhile, Golden Tate down at 5,800. Is this a, a week where you actually think about Tate as a GPP option at that price, given that it's a full-point PPR setup on DraftKings? Well, it follows our last week's scrub strategy that we keep talking about, so it definitely makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, always always go after the players that were awful last week, assuming that there's still like a steady role for them. Um, but the player that I, I look at, the, here's, here's why I don't necessarily go after Tate. <laughs> Travis Benjamin on DraftKings is still 5,900. How is he not a $7,000 <laughs> receiver, especially in that matchup? I mean, he's clearly the number one guy. They're at home. Rivers can find him downfield. I, I look at, at at Travis Benjamin, and I think he should cost whatever Kelvin Benjamin costs right now. The Benjamins mm-hmm. should cost the same amount on DraftKings this week. It's all about the Benjamins, right? It's all about the Benjamins. <laughs> what else do you like at receiver this week, Tim? As you look a little cheaper down the list, I mean, do you have any guys like sub-5,000 that stand out? Uh, yeah, sure. Alan Hearns at 4,800. Um, that kind of goes along with the... Uh, you, you know, the, well, if, if he, I don't think he's going to be in the Millie Maker, right? I don't think they're doing the, the London game for that. No, I like don't it. think yeah. it's in there. I've got that one opened up right now. Yeah, they, they don't want it to lock that early. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, I, you know, Hearn's the guy that I would consider Robert Woods at 3,400. I mean, you know, that, that's a really, really contrarian type of play there. Even though we talked about his upside might be limited, it's a case where he might break off a touchdown there and get you some profit potential. Um, what, what, what guys are you looking at for the uh, for the deeper range there? Tyrell Williams, I think, is also intriguing. If you don't want to go to Benjamin because you feel like everybody's going to be on him, you're going to find a lot of people who still like Williams, but it gives you some salary relief at 4,400. Uh, Terrell Pryor, chalky maybe at 4,300, but the role should still be there. I mean, like they mm-hmm. need to use him to make plays. They're not going to find ways to really score points without getting him involved. And the target volume was there prior to last week. No pun intended. I've said that, like, that's probably the fifth time this week I've said that. It wasn't <laughs> a new thing that they did. Now, having him take a couple snaps at quarterback and some design run plays, that was different. But that little extra value nudges him up quite a bit. I mean, if Cody Kessler goes down with an injury, I feel like they'd run even more plays with prior. So there's a few different paths mm. for him to have a really like fluky good role for this week. I, I think I don't think it's a fade as much as like you have to almost keep pace with him as your third wide receiver and just kind of work around the rest of that. The good news is I guess as far as having like choosing to fade him, it, it's not because you're not, you're not necessarily fading him and then not finding other players with similar upside in that price range. I mean that's that's the key, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the pricing is such that there are enough cheap players where if Pryor's not the guy you believe in, you might find somebody else within three to five hundred dollars that is also way cheaper than you'd expect and. You're going to feel just as good about that play, perhaps, as you do about Pryor. But I, I do like Terrell Pryor. I mean, this was a, all of last year. We just wanted Mike Pettin to put him on the field and give him an opportunity because the size and the speed was there, and it, it, it looks it looks real to me with regard to Terrell Pryor being a productive NFL wide receiver. Oh, absolutely, and I mean, he, I wouldn't say he has the instincts to, to to play wide receiver fully, but I think that you know he has enough to. That he gets himself open to space pretty easily. He's, he's, he has the mechanics that I think are, are developing that way. And yeah, that's it, a guy that's just going to be a matchup problem for, for most guys, I think. Yeah, most, most DBs just can't deal with that combination of size and speed. You mentioned Robert Woods, though. 3,400 is really cheap. I just I, I can't imagine New England exhausts a lot of resources worrying about Robert Woods. I feel like they would just take away stuff over the top, you know, like the, the Salas and Goodwin plays that happened against the Jets, like, they're just taking that away. That's how they're scheming right now is, let's make Tyrod dump the ball off and beat us underneath. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And maybe that means a little bit more Charles Clay over the middle this week. Who knows? He was basically just a (laughs) non-factor, though, last week. I I thought Charles Clay was lined up for a pretty significant role in that offense. And then when Watkins went down, I thought they would force-feed him even more. Uh, Looking at the tight end position, Gronk is 6,500. In season long, he's kind of a forced play in DFS, contrarian almost in some ways because I think everybody's everybody's afraid that he'll be out there for 15 or 20 snaps again, but I think he'll play more as we talked about earlier. I do. Um, do you want to exhaust that much of your cap? 
I don't think I would. I think there are guys that are, you know, obviously around the tier of that that I would trust more because obviously we've seen the roles that we have so far. Jordan Reed and Greg Olson, the guys that I would spend up for this week. And uh, I, I want to I want to wait a week for Gronk t- for DFS, but maybe that's the wrong way to approach it. But I, I need a little bit more of a, of a of a of a floor for him right now for sixty five hundred. The two cheap tight ends, though. I mean, Dennis Pitta against the Raiders, thirty nine hundred. Kobe Fleener, especially if Snead is sidelined again. 3200 on Fleener is a good price for a player. I don't typically go after, but I, I can't pass up on him with that much of a discount. No, I'm with you. I, that, that, it almost didn't caught up to his role last week. I, and I, I mean, Zach Miller, if you want to go even cheaper, as I talked about before, with that great matchup against Detroit, 2700 That's, <laughs> That's filthy. Nuts. That's so cheap. That's filthy. <laughs> last, uh, last position to look at, taking a look at the defenses for this week. If you want to pay for the most expensive one, it's Arizona at 3900 Seattle's at 3,800 against the Jets. The Broncos, 3,700 against Jameis and the Bucks, And then the Redskins hosting Cleveland are 3,500. I mean, the fourth most expensive defense this week, but I, I understand why. I just I got burned going all over Miami last week against Cleveland. I thought Miami would, would pick apart the Cleveland offense, and it took them overtime to beat the Browns. Yeah, you, you would think that people might learn from that and maybe – I don't. I think the, the Redskins are very much like the Dolphins. I don't know how much they're going to match up with the speed of, uh, of of Cleveland with that. So that that's a little bit expensive for me to really be. Oh yeah, definitely Redskins defense this week. Uh, the pass rush probably on the same level as Miami, maybe even a little bit worse. So I mean, my my defense this week is going to be the Chargers hosting the Saints. Um, you know, I, th- I think the obviously even though the, the thing is that the, the travel across country. Sure, I will throw the caveat that obviously Drew Brees used to play in San Diego, so it might not be a huge issue for him. So. I've, been, I've been kind of looking at that game and saying, isn't San Diego obviously an outside, not uh, not a dome mm-hmm. scenario? But isn't that as much like playing in a dome as playing outside anywhere can be? <laughs> it's nature's climate control, basically. Yeah, it's it's nature's yeah. dome, like more or less, <laughs> where it's just like it's not really any wind, temperature doesn't change much, so the outside factor doesn't even do, really matter. Do you go with the Browns against Kirk Cousins as a as a as a way against the green play? At yeah, uh, I mean, twenty five hundred. If you if you if you hate Kurt Cousins, <laughs> I I think so. And if if you are if you're Marcus Vick and you think his name is Kurt Cousins with a C, and <laughs> just not even his name also wrinkled in there, uh, I imagine Marcus Vick is is using the Cleveland defense this week and, and fading uh, one <laughs> Kurt Cousins. Uh, I I like Kirk Cousins enough as a play this week where I'm, yeah. I'm probably not going with Cleveland's defense. I don't know if they have enough playmakers in that defense. Like at yeah. the very least. If I'm going to take a cheap defense, I want one that can force some turnovers on a semi-regular basis. Like if they're a team that gives up yardage most weeks, but in the weeks where they instead of forcing two turnovers, they happen to force four or five, that's their best week. Like I'm, I'm okay, kind of the feast or famine defense, the all or nothing. I'd rather do that. Whereas I feel like Cleveland's defense is just bad. They don't even have the the high risk, high reward dynamic. They just have high risk with minimal reward. No, I, I agree. And I think the Titans might even be the better choice of 2,400 against Brock Osweiler. Yeah, they, they, they're they pretty interesting because Brock hasn't looked good. What do you think? I mean, I mentioned Dak as a, as a GPP option. If you don't believe in Dak, if you're not sure, Dak without Dez, I mean, it's going to be a lot of Beasley, a mm-hmm. lot of Witten. San Francisco's only 2,600. I think part of the aspect of it, too, for me, is, is looking for defenses at home. Baltimore, perhaps, is a contrarian defense going up against the Raiders in Baltimore? Yeah. Um, you know, another cross-country trip type of game. And Ravens at home, I think that pass rush might be a little bit better against Derek Carr as well because he's, you know, obviously not all that comfortable being a pocket passer. So that's something that Baltimore could take advantage of. And they're 2,400. They're one of the, you know, the second to last cheapest, uh, you know, the second most cheap, second cheapest uh, defenses with all the right. Titans. So. so, Tim, as we get ready to sign off here, as we – close the book on our Friday episode for week four. What's, uh, what's in the fridge or what's, what's kind of on the horizon for you this weekend? I'm actually starting a diet tomorrow. So, Oh, so <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're drinking beer tonight then. Oh, absolutely. I, I've been gorging on, you know, greasy food this, this past week and there will be, there will be some alcohol and vibe tonight. Uh, I have to pick out which ones, hopefully some good stuff that's available around New York and, you know, um, you know, most of my weekends coming off this podcast is about celebration because, it, you know, it's a good cap to the week, the combination of those two things. So uh, what about you? I'm eyeing up. There's a, uh, the Belgian quad from Central Waters <laughs> Brewery in Wisconsin, and they, they've, they've barrel-aged it. 
Mm. Which is a that, it's a rare find, right? Like I, I don't think I've had a, a barrel aged quad before, so mm. I've got that on my mind right now. I think you and I have talked, but Belgians are my absolute favorite beer. If, it, if it's good, I will. Uh, I'll get some. I'll get some more and stash it away for you. Oh, thank you, man. Well, I'll. I'll I mean, I, I see bells all over the place here, and obviously, you're not exactly a stranger to that. What, what's the one that you would want me to get for you? If if I saw something around here, oh, in New York, I mean, it's probably something I've never heard of. Like that's I mean, that's the thing. Like, do do people outside yeah. of Wisconsin know anything about Central Waters as a brewing company? I've heard of it. I really, I've never had a Central Waters beer, um, but I mean, I'm thinking something like like Alma Gang or Southampton for you might be good because those are kind of they're good, but they might not be the most nationally renowned ones. So yeah, Alma Gang, we we get that here. Like you, we you get that. Okay. I do get that. Um, I'll, I'll dig around a little bit and see what I can't get that's limited to the Northeast or even specifically to New York. Uh, if, if you're, I mean, you do like pale ales too, right? I mean, Belgians first, but you're into pale ales when seasonally appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I, I go seasonals, but I'm mostly Belgian and, and stout and you know strong ale type. So, I mean, pale ale, pale ale does the job. Though I'm not going to turn down a beer from 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 a podcast co-host. That'd be kind of wrong, I think. All right, all right. And then uh, <laughs> as far as barrel age stuff. Thumbs up on that. Most people like it. Some, a few people say mm-hmm. it's not beer anymore. It's like, come on, it, it's just doing something to make it even better. Well, pe- some people's definition of beer is just Bud Light and Miller Light. So, I don't know. That's... Yeah, very true. Very true. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to buy into that definition. All right. Well, whatever uh, you end up drinking this week, and hopefully you enjoy it. And I'm really hoping to enjoy one of those Belgian quads if I can get my hands on one between now and this evening. Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by NoHalftime.com. Nick and I are back with you on Monday. that by the foot there's no better ride than an old station wagon room for six people facing forward two people facing backward and a whole lot of luggage lumber and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof if you can parallel park that beast you can park anything and with some quality parts and a little napa know-how you can keep your land ship running longer stronger it's not obsolete it's a rare treasure that's napa know-how napa know-how